I want to really help you today with something. Uh, first thing I want to help you with is I, I want to help you have a better chance of avoiding a bear attack next time you go hiking where there might be bears, okay? I mean, okay, I want to help you with that, okay? Now, I don't know how many of you frequently hike where there might be bears, but if you should ever do it, or if you have a friend that does that and you just are family and you want to help them out a little bit, I, I want to I help you with that today, okay? Uh, and just, you just hold that thought for a second, okay? Because it's going to be part of how we engage this, this continuality, what's just primal to us, what's of utmost importance to us. What really, if we could get back to some central things, say, oh man, this is, this is of utmost importance. And if I'm going to understand how the rest of life works, if I can grab a hold of these things, it'll be, it'll be so, so helpful. And here's the reality. If, if you want to like lower the likelihood that you, you'll be attacked by a bear when you're out hiking where there might be bears, there's one simple thing, one simple thing you can do. You don't look like you're ready to write this down. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you, okay? One simple thing you can do is simply not hike alone. <laughs> Truthfully. 70% of bear attacks that happen to hikers happen to hikers that are alone. 70%. Bears know something that we often forget. There actually is some strength in numbers. So if you're going to go hiking and you're going to go where they're bear, I'm just telling you, you're safer if you, even if you take an enemy with you. you. You got a better chance. Okay, like just 70%. There, there's this thing that like the, the bears somehow understand about humanity that we're, we're just a little bit better together. And that, that, is like, that is primal to us, right? That is like we are made to be together. We're made to live life together, to be forged together inside of, of relationships. And just before we go any further, let, let me just acknowledge something uh, that I feel with many of you in this moment. And if I was in your seat, I, I just, I know kind of what's happening here. Let me just speak to my fellow introverts just for a minute, okay? Like, I know, like, we're, you're in church, and now we're talking about together, and we're talking about, you can already feel like, okay, we're going to talk about relationships and community or something, right? And your hands are already starting to sweat, and there's a reason you sat near the back, and there's a reason you sat on an aisle, and like, it's all, and that would be me. Like, I would be thinking, why? Like, how do I get out? Like, what's, what's the ploy coming here? And, and I understand it. Like, introvert to introvert, I just fully, I, I get it. I totally get it. But here's this reality that I can't escape and that you can't escape. And that when push comes to shove, your body, your very being is a connection-seeking machine. Even when you don't realize you're looking for it, you're looking for it. And even when you've been so disappointed by relationships and humanity and togetherness, that you've tried to shut it down, your body is still always trying to ramp it up because it's, it's primal to us. It's all throughout the story of God in the scriptures. Early on in the creation story, God looks at, creates Adam, and he looks at Adam and says, man, it's just not good for that guy to be alone. So he creates Eve, and then from that point on, God starts building togetherness. He starts building families, and then he starts building people groups, and then he starts building nations, right? All, that's all throughout the Old Testament of your Bible. That's what's happening, in part, in part, to show that this is how God relates to people, but the other part is to show this is how people relate to people. There's, 
there's a primal, constant need for togetherness. It, you go to the, the New Testament of your Bible, it's what Jesus did. He got some people around him. If anybody ever could have solved all the world's problem on their own, it was Jesus. He had like really good odds. He had all the right strength sets. But he calls people with him to do it. He gets three around. He gets 12 around. He gets 70 around, right? It's, 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 it's together. Even when Jesus raises from the dead and goes back to heaven, he leaves people. What's he do? He leaves them together. He, he, he leaves them in groups. He's building communities. At least 58 times in the New Testament of your Bible, there's this, these words, one another. There's all of this emphasis on how we relate to one another because the assumption is we would be living life together. The assumption is we, we would be living it in togetherness. In fact, almost every letter in the New Testament of your Bible is written to a group of people. There's a very small few that are written to individuals. Almost every letter in the New Testament of your Bible are written to groups of people together. They would have heard it together. The assumption is together. Now, that's hard for us, and we need constant reminder of that in our very kind of Western individualized world. It, 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 we could use constant reminder of that. But it's, but it's about this thing of, to, of, of, of together. But here's the thing. Like, that's all throughout the story of Scripture. It's all throughout the story of humanity. You and I live inside of bodies and souls that we are literally, we're connection-seeking machines just always working. And yeah, I think it, we'd be honest with each other if we just said it's, it is not working very well lots of the time. Could I just go so far as today that say lots of us are in rooms like this with lots of people, and, and we're, but we're not really together Numbers have nothing to do with the togetherness. Nothing. Nothing. You can be with thousands and be alone. And it's doing damage. It's not new to us, but loneliness does damage. I want to just read you a little bit of an extended quote by a guy named Dr. John Delanoy. Delany. And this is what he says. He says, loneliness is the chief enemy of our modern world. When we're lonely, we wake we make up stories about why we are hurting. We tell ourselves stories of abandonment, unworthiness, and shame. We might have real stories like that, but then we start expanding them and multiplying them. We make enemies out of our neighbors, turning us into them. The toll of loneliness on our bodies, catch this, the actual bio biochemical poison that our brain creates when it recognizes that it is lonely is worse than us smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is killing us. It's killing us. It's killing us. Did, did, you, did you know, like, did you know that when, when you are lonely, your, your body actually starts producing things that are at war with itself? Why is that? Why would that happen? It, it happens because you're, we weren't created to live alone. Like we were actually, again, created to live together. We were created to live in, in, in this thing called community. And, and here's the, the deal about community. Um, I want to help us with the word a little bit today, but I don't love the word in part because I think it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a buzzword. People use it a lot, but because it's a buzzword, it's like actually overused. And in our culture, when something's overused, it actually means it's overdefined. Everybody makes their own definition up about things. That that's what we do. Everybody's working on different dictionaries these days, and that's just part of the momentum of culture right now. 
And so it can get very cloudy and very like, okay, what is it? And if we read about it in the story of God and humanity in the scriptures, what would it actually mean? I just want to just help us define it today, give it some qualities. Let me give you a few qualities of, of community, this thing that you and I are, are actually wired to need. The, the first quality is simply this, that when we really have community, what we're finding is there's a space for belonging. There's just a space where there's this sense that somebody has created for us or we have created for other people a sense where, where we belong. We, 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 we're known a little bit. We're understood a little bit. We're actually wanted. Where, where there's something about it that even if people don't say it, there's this sense that it's like, ah, it's good that I'm here. Or we help other people experience that. It's, it's good that you're here. There's a space for belonging. There, there's a space for risk. See, you and I actually, um, part of this reality of a, of a life of faith with God means that there are, there are things that are going to feel risky. There's elements of life that are going to feel like a risk, Th- things we share, things we talk about, things we do, opportunities we go after. And inside a community, there's a, there's a space for that. Other people create belonging for us, and then we bring the risks or we create the belonging for other people so that they can bring their risk. There's a space for belonging. There's a space for risk. But then there, there's a shared mission. Inside of every healthy, vibrant community, there's some common denominator. We're going after this. We're doing this thing. And then to that mission, there's a shared devotion. Because we all know we're doing that, even if we haven't fully labeled it, there's this, this sense about us that we're doing that, and, and so we're going to be equally devoted to it. Let me just play it out for you in a couple contexts from my life. Uh, when I was a teenager, um, if my dad wanted to interact with me or I wanted to interact with my dad, kind of the nature of the beast was uh, I was going to show up at this bar that he was managing in, in Battle Creek and just a teenage schedule or whatever, I'd often end up showing up in the middle of the afternoon or late afternoon after school or something like that. And, and interestingly enough, um, it's one of the places that I, that I saw the most dynamic community. Because I, I would go in, right, and, and there was all these guys that my dad had known for years, and, and some of them I had, I had known since I was really young, too. They, they, they had this sense of belonging. Like, they all knew they belonged to each other. They, they, all, they all welcomed each other. They all thought it was better when, when the next one showed up, right? And because there was this sense of belonging, there was this, there was this sense of risk. Now, in that environment, and for those guys, risk looked very different. Sometimes, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not stereotyping every environment like this. I'm just telling you what I got to watch, okay? Sometimes the, the risk was one of them would talk positively about their wife. That was the risk, right? I, I mean, it's just, it was just because that was just the environment, right? And that, and that, that was just that, that makeup, that group. But, but they were willing to take some, some risks. Sometimes they were willing to share the risk of actually going after promotion because going after a promotion in the jobs that they had wasn't always viewed as a commendable thing. You were leaving people behind if you took a promotion. So the, there was the, there's this, this arena of risk, but because they had a sense of belonging, they, they could take some risk. They had a shared mission. Again, I'm only talking to you about the context I, I saw, okay? So don't hear me trying to stereotype everything. But their, but their, shared, their shared mission in many ways was numbness. All of them came with, with lots of pain, lots of disappointment, lots of wounds, just like you and me. And the mission, the mission was to find the most numbness. 
The mission was to share and to, to be numb together, to push aside the, the pain together. That, that was, that was the, the, the mission. So then they had a shared devotion. Same time, every day, same group of people every day. They came from nearby plants that they, they worked in and in, in cereal factories, and they, there was just this, it was the same pattern every day, the same. I mean, I, if I went in, I could, I could largely tell you who, who was, was going to be there. They had a devotion to, <laughs> to each other in this thing and inside the shared mission. It's just one example. You, you can think about it in, in your context, too. Like maybe you've been a part of a team, maybe an athletic team, maybe, maybe a club, maybe a robotics team, maybe a team at work or in your workplace, and you get pushed together. And the team functions best, right, when everybody kind of has a sense that we actually belong here. I'm not trying to earn anything anymore. I actually belong on this team, which allows me the freedom to take a risk, to try a new thing, to learn something, to grow in something, to go after something that, that maybe I'm okay at, but I think I could be great at. There's a shared mission. We're trying to win. We're trying to win this game or this championship or this title. We're trying to win this sale or this project or get this deal across the line. Like there's something, and because all of those are together, then we're all devoted to it together. We all, we all have the same devotion to to practice, to be excellent, to, to, to make sure all the formulas are, are right, to make sure all the presentation is, is correct. There's this shared devotion, right? You, you can think about it in, 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 in any context. Where there is community, there are those things. And listen, listen. When you find yourself part of that, it's really good. It's really good. I mean, come on, it's really good. Part of the reason it's really good is because you and I were made to live with community. We weren't made to live on our own. That you, like, the, the dynamic is that we see in the story of God is, is you need other people. You need more than just your person. You need more than just your family. You need this dynamic of, of community, of a group of people where you have a, like a space for belonging and a space for risk where you can be vulnerable and where you can air some things out and where you can ask for help and where you can, right? And when you do, when you have the, man, it's good. Man, it's good. But I also like to suggest today it could be better. Those qualities are good. And some of you have them in certain pockets right now. And it's, and it's, it's really, you should enjoy it for all it's worth. I just want to tell you, it, it could be better. See, you could get those four qualities in any context. It's why I told you that I actually saw them in, in the bar that my dad managed for years. You can, get them in, you can find them almost anywhere. Okay? It's not a guarantee you will, but you could find them almost anywhere. But there's, another, there's like another level. There, there's something even greater than how good that can be. It, there's this type of community that's, that's very Jesus-shaped where there's there's like an, another gear we shift into where, where it goes from really good to absolutely amazing. We, we see it written about in the New Testament Bible in places like Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who in part are experiencing some persecution. So life is not perfect for them, right? It's not easy for them. But because of that, they're, they're realizing how much they need each other. And this is what the, the writer writes, Hebrews chapter 10. He says this, let us consider how we could actually spur one another on, and then check this out, towards something, towards love and good deeds. Like, how could we actually encourage each other? How, how could we spur one another on 
to like more vibrant and full living. And let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now you could ask just real quick, you could try and read in between the lines a little bit. Why were they in the habit of giving up meeting together? Why, why did some of them stop meeting together? Same reasons you and I don't like foster community. It's the same reasons. It's just a couple thousand years later. It's the same reasons. They're a little too busy and they've gotten hurt a couple times. They're a little too busy and they've gotten hurt a couple times. It's not, I mean, it's not even, it's not even that hard to figure, right? You just look at the, the, the history of humanity. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, like, I know, like that's the thing, but don't, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, these people are just living for, for the return of Jesus and more of an expression of his kingdom on the earth. And he's like, okay, so like the way we're going to see more of Jesus on the earth, the part of that is, is we're going to have to do what's primal to us, which is stay together. We're going to have to be inside these pockets where we're encouraging each other, where we're building each other up, where we're spurring each other on towards, towards love and good deeds, like very Jesus-shaped qualities. Part of that is so true because of what Paul wrote in his letter to, to the Romans, again, to a group of people. He said, now in Jesus, what we begin to understand is that in Jesus, we're like lots of people, but we belong to each other. I want to say something that I, like, I, I want to be encouraging, but I, but I think for many of us, it's, it's going to be awkward. Okay, so just brace yourself for a second, okay? Um, but if you're, if you're joining online today or, or you're here in the room and, and you belong to Jesus, like you've surrendered your life to Jesus, his salvation and his leading, his ongoing leading and shaping of your life, you actually belong to all the other people that are doing that. Which again, in our very individualistic, but don't you get in my space culture, that's like a little, like, ah, I don't know. I think it's more that they belong to me, <laughs> you know. But I get it. But Paul's like, no, yeah, actually, we all belong to each, we all belong to each other. Why? Because there is this reality that, that there is the strength in numbers. We are better together. We do learn something from when a bears attack people. There is this thing of we are made to be together. You're made to experience life with more than just your person and more than just your family. So what's it look like if we add a Jesus-shaped layer to it? Let's just take it out because it's the same qualities, just expanded a little bit. One, we, we find a, a space for belonging, but, but belonging and becoming. When it's a Jesus-shaped community, when it's a Jesus-shaped group of people, what we begin to understand is that we, we allow ourselves to belong. We, we create spaces where people feel like they belong, where people feel like it's better they're here. And you find spaces where people have created where it's, it's man, they, you just sense, even if nobody ever says, you just sense it's better when I'm here. But inside of that space, what we're acknowledging is that, that this is a space where I can still become who Jesus is shaping me to be. Which means this, inside of Jesus-shaped community, there's no arrivals. There's no finished products. There's no finished products. I made an awkward statement. Can I just make a real bold one? Those of you who live like you have arrived are the greatest enemies of community that I know. Get over yourself and gain some humility. You're killing the rest of us. And I said that boldly enough that maybe I'm the problem. Okay, but look, we, there's no arrivals. We're all becoming. 
And when we get inside of a, a community where there's a sense of belonging, part of the deal is that there's got to be belonging becoming. And, and you, can be on a, you can be on a team. You can be a part of a community that's great. But if, it, if, but, if, but if there's not room to keep growing, if there's not room to keep moving, if there's not room to acknowledge that even today in this moment, Jesus himself is doing a good work in me to help me keep willing and acting according to his really good purpose, then it gets short-circuited. There's not a limit on Jesus' goodness and power in our life, so I want to resist arrivals and welcome becoming. So could we create spaces where we don't expect people to be perfect, where we don't expect people to show up having arrived, where we don't expect people to, to maybe even understand the same things that we understand, who have been through the same things that we've understood? Could we create spaces like that? We need to create it for people. We need to find people who are creating it for us. These places of belonging so that there can be becoming. And when we find there are places of becoming, then we, we find there are places of, of, of risk for growth. It's like risk for the sake of growth. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk something for the sake of growth because I do believe I am becoming. And when I find a group of people who are, who are warm enough, who are in enough community, who, who can exercise an, an, enough hospitality to help it feel like I, I belong here so I can become here, then, then I have found a place where I can take a risk. I, can, I have found a place where I can risk some vulnerability or a new layer of vulnerability. I can risk not having it all together because I get the sense that the people I'm with, they don't really think they have it all together either. That together we are becoming, together we are growing in something. And so there is a risk. That here's the other dynamic. Like we gotta understand risk for the sake of growth. We, we gotta understand that that means we enter into community environments or environments where we're pursuing community with the assumption with the assumption that it will be difficult, there will be pain, there will be disappointment. So often, we get in this context of the church and we come wanting to acknowledge that we're not perfect, but we put the expectation on everybody else that they would be perfect. And so when we experience a disappointment or a hurt inside of community, we wanna throw in the towel and say, that's it, I quit. How could that have ever happened? Well, it happened because you're hanging with humans. Welcome to the party, right? There's a tension that we live in here, right? Where we are looking for more of heaven on earth. But what we are on right now is not heaven. And what we are on right now is not hell. But there is some brokenness. And so what I want to say, like, for those of you who have tried community and you pushed into community and you've wanted Jesus-shaped community and you've experienced hurt and disappointment, sometimes it was accidental pain. Sometimes it was intentional pain. Sometimes somebody was just careless. What I, want to, what I want to say to you is this, I, I, I am deeply sorry. I've experienced it too. And I'm sure I've contributed to it as well. And so I'm, I'm deeply sorry. But we can't give up. Pain didn't remove the truth that you and I were made to be together. It highlighted the truth that we're made to be together with imperfect people. Don't, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say, I'm never going to do it again. Come back to this purpose of Jesus. Come back to this thing that Jesus said we belong to each other and say, okay, then, that's worth fighting for. And I know going in, it's a risk. I know going in, it's a risk. Now, I know some of you have been on the wrong end of, of massive abuse and spiritual abuse, and I, I know that's like this whole other level, right? 
And I'm sorry for that too. And I don't, I'm not diminishing that pain and that trauma that goes with that at all. And there are roads of recovery and there are paths and those have to be taken remarkably seriously. But so many of us were quitting over really petty things. One of my, great, one of my greatest joys the last couple of years is hearing stories of people who didn't quit when it was remarkably hard. In the most divisive time where community was rocked and shaken the most, the people who doubled down and said, it's worth it, man, those are heroes. Those are legends. Those people are next level. If you want to know where the mature people are, look at the people who hang in when it's hard, who stay at the table when not everybody agrees. That's it, man. That's it. A modern-day miracle, this is not my statement. I wish it was, dang it. But a modern-day miracle, a modern-day miracle in our time is long-term engagement with a church. Really, really. It's just true. It's sad, but it's true. Because we got our, there's, there's risk. So there's the space for belonging and there's this, there's this space for risk for the sake of growth and who we're becoming. When we find a pocket of people who have created this, this sense of belonging for us, we know, okay, I can, start, I can start risking some things here. And I might start small. I might start small, but I can start risking some things here. I, I can start expressing some vulnerabilities here. I can start actually acknowledging where I genuinely need help. Where I genuinely need help. And I'm going to do it with a bunch of other people who don't think they have it all together either. But then we have this, then this, shared, this shared mission for, for Jesus. We have a shared mission that belongs to Jesus. Part of the reason Jesus left us here to do life together is because he designed that we would, we would be stronger together. We would be more influential together. We would. We would together. We would together have a greater influence and example than we do individually. Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He said, hey, the way the world around you is going to know who you are is by how you love each other. Isn't that fascinating? Like, they're not first going to know, like, by all the other things that you do. They're going to know primarily by how you love each other. Lots of people can express power. The number of people who can genuinely keep loving, that's too limited. Right? And so Jesus like, let's, let's concentrate on that. All the other stuff will come. Let's concentrate on that because it's for the sake of, of his mission. Why, why did Jesus like actually establish his church, which is what he called his people like to be together, right? It's for the sake of his mission. It's for the sake of his story. So we don't have a shared mission of just winning a game or a title. We don't have just a shared mission of numbing something. We don't have just a shared mission of a sale or an accomplishment or a growth. All of those are wonderful and great, but we have a shared mission that impacts eternity and elevates the person of Jesus in the world. You want to know one of the final markers of really great Jesus-shaped community? It's when, you're, it's when you're having a Jesus-shaped influence outside your community. If the, we've just said some things today. Let's go to the next level again. So if, if your Jesus-shaped community is only impacting itself, there's more, there's more you can experience. There's more available to your group. 
there's more available to your community. That, that's why, like, for, for us, we've, it's, it's, it's more life for more people because if it was only about us, then how would that ever be like a Jesus-shaped thing? Like, that, that just is completely opposite of, of how Jesus designed things. It's for this, this shared mission, which, which means this, when we have this sense of belonging, right, and we have a place, oh, my word, I actually think I could take some, some risk here for the sake of my own growth and for the sake of development, and I'm helping create the belonging so other people can take a risk because look at this, man. I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of people who they don't have it all together. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God you're broken. I mean, right? Then we have this, this shared, we understand we have a shared mission. Our growth is in part to walk more fully with Jesus and to keep moving forward and and, and then to like multiply his influence. And so because of that, we have a shared devotion to Jesus and one another. We have a shared devotion to Jesus and one another. That's, that's like this calling card of Jesus-shaped communities. Our devotion is to Jesus and it is to one another. It's not just to one another and it's not just to Jesus. We're not here just to help each other feel good and we're not here just to learn facts about Jesus. When you have Jesus-shaped community, we're, we're here for each other so that we can grow together and with that, we, that we could be together, that, that we could risk together, that we would have a place to be vulnerable and have safety nets below us so that, so that we could say, look, at the end of the game, we're about something much bigger even than this group where I found community where that with this four or six or eight or nine or 12 or 20 or whatever it is, people, there's, there's something bigger than that. And so I'm devoted to this thing. I'm devoted to this thing. I'm devoted to this Jesus and I'm devoted to these people. Just to, to see it in big picture, I, I want to take you to uh, an often used passage portion of the scriptures around this theme and just help us see inside of it a little bit and see these qualities like just pouring out from the, from the lives of these people. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this, this is what it says. Um, they, they devoted, so it's these early followers, it's the early disciples, and then it's thousands of people who within a couple of days have all responded to Jesus. So they devoted, there it is. I mean, it's right off the bat, like it's gonna work and we're gonna see a picture of community, but it starts like they're devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and to the fellowship, that's to each other. Do you see it right off the bat? They're devoted to Jesus and to each other. They're devoted to Jesus and to each other. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Do, do you see, like, do you see the pocket of, of where all these wonders and signs came out of? It's this group of people who are devoted to Jesus and each other. It's like the fertile ground. It's like the, this, this loving one another, the way Jesus described it. And it's like this fertile ground of holy smoke. That's the beginning. The love factor is amazing and incredible, and that opens, takes off the lid to, to all these others. Verse 44, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, which is literally we belong to each other. You need a tire? I got a tire. Right? You need a job? I know somebody who's looking to hire. You need a what? I mean, I got that, right? You, we, just, it's, we have all things in common. Verse 45, so much so they start selling stuff to give to anybody who had need. Basically, what they're doing is like, this is what I think I own. This is what I bought, purchased, worked for. This is what I'm paying on, whatever. This is all my stuff. And it actually kind of belongs to all, all, all of us. It actually kind of belongs to, to all of us. Now, look, there's some healthy relational boundaries to this thing. I'm not going to show up in your house this afternoon, but 
there's this thing like that we belong to each other. This week, I got to listen to multiple stories with journey people literally living this in some of the most radical ways. I, li- I just hadn't heard stories like it in a little bit. And I just sat back and it just, it, to say it inspired me again is almost an understatement. Where people who are literally leveraging their lives and their possessions for the good and the safety and the rebuilding and the restoring of other people. Unbelievable. Like, that's it. That, 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 that's it because we, we actually belong to each other. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They're devoted to this rhythm. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with really glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You, you see it? There is an outward influence. There just is. Now, here's, here's what I see. I've got a problem with the book of Acts in the New Testament of your Bible. Here's the problem. It is appropriately and understandably so. Luke, the guy who wrote it, wrote it this way intentionally because of what he's, he's just trying to share and what he's, what he's trying to do. But it's really cleaned up. It's a really polished account of things. It's not dishonest. It's not inaccurate. It fits the purpose of what Luke is trying to do. But if you went to some other pockets of the New Testament Bible, like Galatians, which are accounting for time periods around some of the same times, what you find is it's not all perfect. Can I tell you what's happening in Acts chapter 2 that Luke didn't write because he didn't want to take the time and waste the ink and parchment for? There's some people not getting along. There's some people not getting along. There's some people who still have disagreements about how they should be responding to Rome the government. There's some people in this group who still aren't exactly sure that the people who are accepting Jesus should really be allowed to accept Jesus. It's not perfect. It's littered with risk and loaded with belonging and devotion and this mission. Friends, we, we need each other. We need com- community. You need a place where you can belong and where you can risk and where you have a shared mission with some people that's way bigger than you and way bigger than just the group and, and where we can be devoted to Jesus and one another. We're meant, we, it, it, this is primal to us. We're meant to, to experience this. And it's and It's possible. And it can be valuable at every single season of our life. And just to help with some context to it, I want to give you just a couple minutes to, to listen to a story of a journey couple who's experienced this inside of the context of small groups, which is one of the most tangible ways to experience this, is to, is to find a, a small group of, of people that we can navigate this with and begin to experience this with. And I just want you to hear their story, like, throughout life, the benefit of throughout life. And then we'll talk about some ways to respond to it. Go ahead and take a listen to this for a couple minutes. We're Chad and Becky Berkowitz Kreps. Uh, we've been attending Journey for about two and a half years. We came here just as COVID started. Um, we've been involved in small groups since college. 
We started uh, when we were single in small groups. Uh, we attended Campus Crusade, which is now called Crew. Um, and that was real helpful for us at college because uh, you need that support. You've been pulled away from all of your other uh, support. And we then uh, started joining small groups at churches. Our first church was big on small groups, which was great. That gave us a great start. I was involved with a, an accountability group through Promise Keepers for more than five years. Promise Keepers was a men's ministry. Um, my mom and dad were divorced, uh, so growing up I didn't have a dad, and um, I just, like a sponge, soaked up that information on how to be a godly husband and father. We had small kids at the time, and I was like, how am I supposed to do this? That small group was super, super helpful. Our first child, developed cancer and, and surgeries and treatment and eventually passed. I, I don't know how, between our faith and um, members of our small group supporting us through that, I, I don't know how we got through that. Yep, that was important. We did, you know, we had our family too, but the small group was the ones who uh, were praying for us faithfully, walking with us through our pain and uh, reminding us of God's promises to be with us. You know, you just during times like that, you, you need other people around you. You need community, a Christian community to direct you, direct you back to God. It's a safe, confidential environment and you can share your burdens and your joys. And that, how do you say this? It, it, it helps carry the, the weight of the burdens and it's somebody to celebrate the joys with. One of the places of growth for me that small groups help um, is I'm a future-oriented person and have a hard time being in the present. Um, and I also am a person who does and goes and goes, and so I don't have much margin in my life. And God has really been teaching me to slow down, to be in the moment with people, to connect with them, and that really relationship is more important than getting whatever done was that I want to get done. It's so that I'm trying to follow his agenda, not my agenda, which is really hard for me because I always have an agenda. <laughs> it's true. At first it feels a little awkward to be risky and vulnerable with people that you're just meeting. But honestly, as you do, that group draws together then to be a help and support to each other. God built us for relationship, first with Him, but then with other people. And that's where the real work happens. That's where you grow as you're accountable to others, as you learn as they go through things. 